Every great dream begins with dreamers. Tom and Steve are strangers in a strange land. Join them on the journey from ignorance to knowledge, one book at a time, one chapter at a time. All aboard the Blunderground Railroad. Welcome to the Blunderground Railroad. My name is Tom, and I'm here with my wingman, Steve. Hey, how you doing, everybody? We are traveling on the Blunderground Railroad, going from ignorance to knowledge, and we are reading The Christian Mind, How a Christian Should Think, by Harry Myers. We are currently in part number two, section number three. In part number two... Uh, Harry is uh, trying to take us through the different aspects of a Christian mind, and so we've looked at uh, we've looked at its uh, uh, supernatural presupposition. We've looked at the way that the Christian mind conceives good and evil. And if you haven't heard those episodes, you should go back and check them out because they're pretty great. Uh, today we are in section number three: How a Christian Should Think, the Christian Conception of Truth. So truth here, Steve. Yep. Uh, Blumeyer starts off by talking about the supernatural, and that's not a controversial statement. Uh, it oftentimes is seen as a, as a supernatural statement, or as a, excuse me, uh, a controversial statement. But the Christian mind has a supernatural orientation. Okay, so the great truths of Christian doctrine are fantastical okay they are when the fantastical meets the temporal and the eternal and so this is important because to be a christian i think this goes back to the previous chapter to be a christian is to believe that there is something outside of life itself that what is outside of our reality has broken into our reality right so therefore if you believe that if that is the basis for truth then the truth would have a supernatural orientation. So they, and it really, Blumeyers does a great job here because what he, he talks about how um, the truth is really the dividing line between what we consider to be the Christian mind and the secular mind. So we have all these things, and we're going to talk about some other things afterwards, and we've already talked about a few things, but this is where the rubber meets the road, as they say. So the concept of truth for the Christian, as we just said, it's supernaturally grounded. So, uh, for the secular mind, and I thought this was very interesting, it is, for the secular mind, the concept of truth is grounded within nature. Right. And, and so that's important because this is where we talk about social scripts and then Christian belief, right? Like, mm-hmm. we used to live in an environment where the prominent social scripts would match the belief of your average Christian. And now that's kind of, that, 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 that's began to, to peel away from one another. And a lot of this is because people don't go to the natural world anymore, all right, for their concept of truth. A lot of Christians, actually, I've seen have, have said, hey, you know, we need to maybe start, stop talking about Christianity as explicitly as we do, and we need to start appealing to natural truth. You appeal to natural truth first and then appeal to Christianity. I'm not saying I agree with that statement, uh, but uh, that is where the secular finds. Yeah, we started to use apologetics a lot more. Their truth. Rather than just... 
you know, sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is thy truth. Yeah, it's really interesting. I think that there's a section coming up in the book where Myers is going to talk about that a little bit, about apologetics and about uh, how uh, the Christian people have— well, really, we made a miscalculation because what we did was— we kind of went into the 80s and the 90s and the 2000s, and we kind of had the thought, well, if we prepare people to engage apologetics, then people will be looking for rationality. When they see how rational it is, then they will they will see the truth behind, you know, behind the event. Yeah. And, and that has not been the case. That was a, a huge miscalculation because a lot of the training that was done for, with that expectation just hasn't hasn't turned out that way. Right. No, he was basically talking about how the more we've moved to the middle, the more we've lost of the Christian side. You know, in, in an attempt to find the middle ground, we've actually lost some on our side rather than being able to keep the entire Christian mind and stretch to the middle ground. We've just kind of moved more towards the middle, you know, and more towards them, trying to appeal to them with uh, with worldly thinking. Well, yeah, and I really love what Bill Meyer says about this because he, he it's something that I've never been able to quite put words to, but by reading him, he was able to put better words to it than I, than yeah, I did. Yeah. And, and he talks about how when Christians, they don't recognize the distinction between the two minds, that the, the secular mind, see, first of all, the secular mind always sets the frame. We kind of talked about that the other day on Notes from Blunderground mm-hmm. and how... You know, when the secular mind sets the framework for the thinking, then when the Christian mind comes in, the weakened Christian mind, it always appears overly reliant on sentiment, right? Yeah. And and evasive. He, you know, it always seems like you're trying to evade something. Like if someone says, well, I don't need the Bible to tell me uh, what's right and wrong. Well, the Christian, in responding to that, it always sounds like they're trying to evade some some obvious point. Yep. Right, and, yep. and and the reason isn't because they're trying to evade something. It's because they're they're working within the framework of the secular. Yeah, we're trying to avoid a fight. Yeah, I, <laughs> I mean, mean really. Much. I mean, we're really. Trying, trying not because we know if we say what we want to, the conversation's over. You know, and here's the thing: is it's hard reading Blue Myers sometimes because Blue Myers is writing from a different world. He's in 1961, yeah. so he kind of comes at it from this. You know, these Christians need to get some muscles. We need to get some gumption, and we need to get out there, and we need to challenge these presuppositions, and we need to make ourselves known right now because if we don't, we're going to get to a point where it's all lost. And then here we are, Tom and Steve, in 2022, and it's like, oh, uh, what that was written like 60 years ago. Whoops, this must be the world he was talking about. Right, you know, pretty much, exactly. <laughs> and you're kind of like, um, uh-oh. Brad Paisley song, Welcome to the Future. Right, yeah, right, right, there you <laughs> here go. Here we are. Pretty much, here we are, right, here we are. And so then you're like, oh, this is why whenever I talk to someone and I realize that we don't share the same presupposition, like, it's pointless, right? Like, I feel like I've already lost. Not that I've lost an argument, but I've lost the ability to actually reach someone. Yeah, this book was a winning lottery ticket that nobody cashed. <laughs> I lost in the couch somewhere. Boy, I'll tell you what. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, Blumeyer's. I think he passed away. I believe he passed away in 2017. He lived to be a ripe old man, yeah. and uh, I believe it was uh, three or four years ago, no, five years ago, I guess, that he passed away. So I, he did live through Trump years, I guess. He 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 lived through the inauguration. I I wonder what he thought about all that. You know, Living I don't know. Him. I've I've wondered what like people like my grandfather who was born in 1919. He, he passed in 99, but I'm like, yeah, man, what would they think right now? 
Because these are people, obviously, like, that I knew, you know, they're not here oh, anymore, yeah. and I'm like, so much has happened since then. Even people like my grandma, grandma's from the 40s. It's yeah. The world that they have seen. My oh, man. Goodness. Man. I had a great, I had a great grandmother who, when I was younger, and uh, she, she was born in 1900. Whew. I mean, how cool is that? Because yeah. I knew how old she was when they, every time I learned about a historical event, they say, "Oh, uh, <laughs> compare you know, it to her. exactly." I just compare <laughs> it to her. You know, they'd say, uh, "Oh, you know, uh, you know, Kennedy was shot in 1963." They'd say, "Oh, my great grandma was 63 years old when that happened." You know, or thinking about the Great Depression, like 19 uh, the, the war, like 1917 or 1914. Mm-hmm. I say, "Wait, my great grandma was 19 was 14 years old." Like I remember what I was doing at 14. So yeah, want to go ask her about it? Yeah. yeah. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, she died in the '90s, right? In her '90s, it's wild. So, uh, as far so Christian truth, I thought Bill Myers did a great job of contrasting the Christian version of truth to the secular definition of truth. And it's interesting because the Christian version is robust and well defined, and then the secular is like wishy washy. Yeah, go figure. Man, so the Christian truth, okay, Christian truth formulates itself with the following. Number one, it is supernaturally grounded. It is not developed within nature. Mm-hmm. Number two, it is objective. It is not subjective. Number three, it is a revelation. It is not a construction. Right. And number four, it is discovered by inquiry. Right. Right. It's right. Never, never, ever, ever a majority vote. Right. No such thing. It's always an inquiry. Had that highlighted. Boy, it's never, ever a majority vote. And number five, it is authoritative. It is never a matter of personal choice. Nope. Nor is it up for discussion, my friends. In season and out of season. That that I had highlighted in red, by the way. In those red? Last, yeah, those last two parts. Wow, is that right? Yeah. Yeah, really. In yeah, red. I did. Very nice. I did, because I don't like it when overseers have votes. That- because because we're going to get to a part where it says there's no subtler perversion of the Christian faith than to treat it as a means to a worldly end. Uh, okay, in this chapter? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, okay, yep, yep. Oh, yeah, we'll yep. get there. Okay, yep, yep, we'll oh, get yeah. there. So, I, go ahead. This is what I like about this author, okay? And you said it earlier. You know, you, it was a different world. It was 1961, and you were, you know, I, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm not putting words in your mouth here, but you... You you insinuated that you know he was from a world where you could speak more boldly about Christ and not worry about getting into an argument or something, whereas now it's a guaranteed argument. I don't know if that's exactly what you're saying. Right. If it's not, fine. Whoever's exactly saying that, you already know me. Speak your mind. Yeah. I don't care if it costs you your career. This is Christ. He went to. He carried his own cross and then was nailed to it for you. You can't speak your mind. For him, you can't witness for him, really. Like, who are who are these people that he was writing about? I mean, I know him now, I've seen him. Oh, you mean in the book? Yeah, yeah. There was there's 19 pages in this chapter, and about 21 of those pages I saw in those pages people that I know personally. Yeah, I don't know. The, he was he was in uh, England, I believe, at the time in 1961, mm-hmm. and I don't really know a lot about the culture in England in 1961, so. Mm-hmm. I'm not an expert on that. Well, right now you're just going to get ignored. I think like we talked last chapter, Christianity is sort of in the middle. Right. You know? Well, the thing is, is Christianity is viewed now as a lifestyle choice. Yeah. And so that's the issue. The issue is that, the issue is that there's now, there's now, there's not two ways, okay, to approach being a Christian. You can say, okay, you got one guy on the left. To, to him, if he 
the secular frame of Christianity is that Christianity is a lifestyle choice. And he talks about this in this chapter. Yeah. About how, like, and I love it because he always talks about how, uh, like, uh, you know, uh, intellectuals always look at Christianity as kind of like the best version of monotheism that the marketplace has produced. Pretty much, And yeah. that if we just weren't so stubborn, we could just get rid of it and make another try and probably do a better job on the second time around. Right, right. Yeah, like, he says here, like, right. there's a there's a, cha- uh, a sentence that says, why can't Christians be good just for the sake of goodness itself? Instead yeah, why do they got to have that God stuff Drag God and whatnot into it. Yeah, yeah, right. That's right. The supernatural is what it is, yeah. Right. The supernatural. Well, Tolstoy was the same way. I mean, he was, I, I don't march, I do enjoy Tolstoy, but I don't march in step with everything that he wrote. And he was not a fan of the supernatural. He thought that, he thought that the supernatural, he actually said, he said that, in his opinion, that was his opinion, mm-hmm. that the supernatural was thrown in by Paul or by the apostles to to, to scare people so that they would comply, but that, the, but that, and that he always, and he puts all these words and thoughts into Jesus' mind, <laughs> yeah. kind of where he goes off the rails. You know? Yeah, yeah. The apostles couldn't wait to be treated the way they were. Yeah, no, for I know. Jesus' sake, are you? Are they crazy? And then, and then I always thought of it. I thought of that in this chapter because Blumeyer's is uh, talking about. Remember, he's talking about the secret uh, tribunals. He says, like people say, oh, theology has come up with a, a a group of intellectuals. They all talk it through and change it subtly as the years go on. Yeah. Yet the people who actually listen and obey the theology are so dumb they can't figure it out. But the guy who hates the theology, he's so smart he can figure it all out from top to bottom. You know, like it makes no sense. I mean, it's it's not logical or rational at all. Their argument was squashed. If if anybody had an argument when the Dead Sea Scrolls were found, your argument squashed. Mm. They they matched the old manuscripts word for word. Yeah. Oh yeah. Right. With punctuation errors only. Right. So goodbye. (laughs) You you no longer have an argument now. Take your carbon dating and use that, and it's truth now, whether like it or not. So. I love how he talks about He says, the secular truth has only the opinionated self as the judge. Hey. <laughs> right. Well, I thought that was so well stated, you know. He's got like. That's th- like politely like, yeah, you selfish jerk. <laughs> right, well, pretty much. But no, you think about it, though. It's the opinionated self. And he talks it about is. opinion later on. Like yes. about, because, I mean, really, in the absence of an objective truth, what more do you have? I mean, that is the sickness of the age, all right? So the sickness of the age, and I, I will say this a thousand times, mm-hmm. okay, is that, and I'm just shocked that no one said it. I mean, I'm shocked that I got a podcast so that I ha- I can say it because no one else will. Like, I cannot believe that people... I know, I'm shocked. This. Somebody gave you a microphone too. I, I know. Oh, no, what were you going to say? I, I hear you. <laughs> so like, at one point in time, we had social scripts that yeah. matched Christian belief. And so if you weren't a Christian then you still basically could get along with everybody because we all worked with the same presuppositions. Well, now, like, that is lost. The social scripts are gone. And so for 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 people, for Christians to be able to, you know, Christians come out and they say, well, you can't do this. And I always laugh. You know, they say, well, well you know, um, my wife will do this. She'll say, well, don't people know they can't do this? And I'll go, sweetheart. They, they 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 don't they don't they left that way but they left that presupposition behind years ago, you know. Now they can do it. They, they as far as they're concerned, it's all good. They don't they don't they don't have that presupposition any longer. A lot of society, yeah, has absolutely strayed away from God, um, but there are also people. You got a you got a, like a, a middle group who claims Christ but doesn't like if you ask them, they'd be like, oh yeah yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. 
but I have no clue what the heck they're doing. Like for me, yeah, but those drinks. those were the people. And, yeah, I guess that's true. Those were the people who could who could get along very well in the world when uh, when the, the when the the social scripts match the belief. And now that they don't, you kind of got to make a choice. You know, it's it's fascinating. I I I started thinking about this back when uh, uh, when gay marriage was legalized. And that there was a, obviously Christians in the church. Everyone talked about it all the time. Mm-hmm. And and I'd like to have a. I'd like to have a. Maybe we'll come back. We'll circle back to the boy crisis at some point and have a more robust discussion about this. Yeah. But back when gay marriage was legalized, the Christians were kind of freaking out. But it, no one had a. No one had this. No one could put the words what the issue really was outside of the general morality. That's it. And and, yeah. and, and here, it, yeah. And, and but I started thinking about it and. I started thinking it through, and it, it dawned on me. And and boy, I tell you, I've said this, I've said this to my wife and a few of my close friends. And and I, I just, I don't think people really understand. I think people have an intuitive sense, and people know it inside of themselves. But I don't think people really understand where this ends, right? Like, once gay marriage was legal, like Christian marriage is getting pushed out, like. There, there will be a point in time, and it may not happen. It won't happen in a week. It may not. Happen, it won't happen in a year. But it may not happen in five years. But there will be a point, and I think it's going to be in my lifetime. I think there will be a point in time, some point in the future, where the church is going to have to. They're going to have to check out of the marriage business, meaning the secular marriage business. Like we used to say to homosexuals, we'd say, "Well, you can have a civil union, but you cannot have a marriage." Okay, the church at some point is going to have to say, "We are going to have." a union called marriage and it's going to be called a Christian marriage and it's going to have nothing to do with the state. Like we are going to have to leave the state and if you guys want to get married and go pay your taxes, you go do what you're going to do. But the church is going to have to leave and advocate marriage to the state. They're going to have to do their own. Okay. So things like, for example, no fault divorce, no fault divorce is never going to go away. All right. It's never going to be changed. And so if the church, the church and no fault divorce can't live together. Like right now, people will say, well, isn't it a shame that, you know, so-and-so and so-and-so got divorced? I mean, isn't that a shame, right? At some point, you have to say, like, aren't we the church? Like, don't we have standards? And if we have standards and the state allows you to legally take those standards and we our standards are higher, then what does that look like? What does the accountability look like? Um. Okay, but we... As Christians, we live inside a government framework, and that's fine. We are supposed to obey our government up to the point where it conflicts with our Christian faith. Hmm. There's nothing that says we have to get divorced. So I don't find, I, I mean, yeah, the people that are in it, they're getting divorced, clearly don't understand biblical principles behind it. The people that are getting married who are gay um, clearly don't understand biblical principles or they're just convinced differently in their own mind of whatever they're convinced of. But that doesn't mean somebody who gets married has to get divorced. It's still a government that is, or or marriage is recognized by the government, and that government is recognized by God. I don't see why we separate. Yeah, I don't, uh, 
I think it has serious implications. I mean, it's a it's a, a much larger conversation. Uh, I do I do have a lot to say, and I and I do have a response to it. To I do have a response to you, but I don't want to. It's a robust response, and it's multi layered. Right. So, uh, but I do, no, but I I think that at a different point in time we should have that discussion because I think it's fascinating. I think it has a lot of implications for the church, um, because for example, having okay, so for having society to have social scripts actually covered for a lot of the fragmentation within the de- within the denominations and so being and so aligning aligning yourself with the state allows that that allows those to be flattened and that's actually advantageous for the church but the people in the churches all right they don't have a stake in this and so for the people in the churches like if your kids right like your kids like I want my kids to have a Christian marriage I don't want my kids to have a secular marriage I mean I don't want like like the, what I see out in the world for marriage, that's nothing I want for my family or for my loved ones. So I want something that's different for them. And so for them, they can now they can say, they can say to themselves, "Well, I can do it my own way, or I can do it God's way." Well, in effect, if they're just making the choice for themselves, then that why don't we just do that in all of life? And, and and so why do we even have the institution to begin with if we're all just going to be able to do what we feel is right? So if we're going to be so. People are not stupid. They understand that they're making individualistic decisions. And so Christianity becomes more atomized, like we see in this chapter. And in this chapter, it's a great point that Myers makes, because Christianity is not atomized. It is based on truth. Should we not shop at grocery stores because they sell beer? Um, I mean, how far do we take this? Well, I do think that you—I do think that— It's in the chip aisle. Chips are allowed. Got to go down the beer aisle then. Well, I don't know if I'm making uh, a stance on rules as much as I'm I'm trying to engage moralistic choices. You know, I think that divorce, I think that divorce and drinking a beer are are are, are two are, are two. I think that the Bible's clear that divorce is not uh, that divorce is not uh, the, the, the divorce is not a disputable issue. Yeah, yeah, I'll give you that. So I, I I wouldn't really look at it. I wouldn't. Really, I guess I wouldn't look at it that way. I give you that. Interesting. Yeah. No, you're right. This this is definitely a conversation for another time. Cause I got I got more questions, but sure. We sure. should we should probably keep going with the chapter. All right. <laughs> so yeah, the um, it's just talking about. So we have the concern for right values. Uh, it, it's talking in the chapter. So basically saying. It's basically snobbery, right? People look at uh, Christians and they'll say, oh, you know, like a school marm. Oh, the school marms are coming along and they all want us to do the right thing morally. Uh, you know, is yep. it pretty much can't wait till, the, you know, you, you go away type of thing. Yeah, I mean, a lot of times. But it's the thoughts of the uneducated, okay, or the masses are often misrepresented by the, basically, he he draws the line here, okay, the masses, and he calls them the thoughts of the uneducated or the thoughts of the mass crowd. He calls it the cult of the common man. And he points out how the media oftentimes manipulates this uh, for the, the, the basically the amusement of the learned. Pretty much. Yeah, and I think that this goes, this actually was a pretty good description of Blunderground, you know, of Twitter. You know, as you look at Twitter, I mean, that's really what it is. I mean, all the, you know, all the plebs are allowed to be on Twitter if they want to be, but, you know, they basically serve as like kind of like this example that the media can basically frame for their own purposes. Yep. So, um, but he talks about how 
it, he talks about how dangerous this is because, and it's funny that no one else says things like this. You know, the contemporary is the common man. He's talking about the the the, the people, right? The common people, like they do not perceive it this way, right? So basically, you know, it's easy to have all the requirements of Christian truth get lost in the discussion when you're talking. You know, it all ends up being media manipulation, the common people, the common man. You talk about the learned and ignorance, and people are not stopping to think about the nature of truth. It all gets lost. That's why we have a duty to warn the wicked. And then Second Corinthians 6.14 after that, what's that say? Be not unequally yoked. Mm. Yeah, that, that's it. True. We are not supposed to be of the world. The Bible is very clear about that. Sounds mean to people, you know, to, to to the average person. If you just come out with the Bible and just tell them the Bible, it sounds very, you know, like nose in the air type of people. Like we're better than you type of people. But it's because they don't get it. It's because, and he talks about it right here. He, people act like we made up this own, like like this thing ourselves. We've we've cultivated it ourselves. Yeah, that's kind of the unspoken assumption amongst a lot of uh, the secular, um, uh, the secular world. Yeah, and I've had to tell people like, you realize this is inconvenient to me as well. <laughs> like, yeah, right. <laughs> almost like the like the apostles, you know, like <clears throat> people people think the the apostles threw some stuff in there just to give themselves authority. Like, are you kidding me right now? You think Paul loved his life afterwards? Yeah. <laughs> I think he had it pretty good when he was Saul of Tarsus. No, no, I know. You know? It's it's just fascinating. The sense that the sense okay, like it wasn't always like that. There was a time when social scripts and truth, all right, and yeah. Christian truth went along the same way. They were the same. Yeah. But this sense, okay, the they sense were parallel. That, yeah, that's right. right. The right. sense that objective truth is found within religious circles has been totally lost. Oh right? gone. Yeah, it's all gone. And so basically it's hard. If you tell someone you're a Christian, they automatically assume that you have made a choice to practice religion because you feel that it's the best frame for your personal moral decision. Yeah, because you need some sort of Jesus crutch. And I love what he says here. He goes, what a mean blasphemy it would be to go through magnificent acts of public worship, always with the dominant intention at the back of the mind. This is really going to make a better chap of me. What arrogance and presumption to treat eternal God throned in glory as a visual aid to moral self-improvement. Right. Boy, that's, whoa, man. That's what's what, man. Yeah, those are things that I can't put words to either. No, those are perfect. This guy's fantastic. Fantastic, man. (laughs) Fantastic. You know, it does, and he talks about that later on, a little later on. I think it's in that same spot. He says, um, you know, he says people treat Christianity like you know, like Christianity is the best. It, it's 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 like the best version of monotheism that's yeah. found on the religious marketplace. Yep. You know, yeah. and like people always assume that like you know, if we can just get around to the business of throwing out Christianity, that we can start over again, and maybe the next time it'll be better. We we'll, can build build back better. That's right. We're gonna we'll do it. Build back better. <laughs> you know, we'll get rid of the old, and then the new will be even twice as good as what the old one was. You know, but like no one's got the guts to actually do it, right? So yeah, yeah, but like you know, you talk about that it's funny because that's what people assume right yeah and they think about it and they think well uh, um you know and, oh and then the one was my favorite remember when he talks about the intellectual who writes the book well you talking about when he start, it, starts talking about how interesting the theories are 
Yeah, well, he talks about the the, the, the midlife intellectual who's gone that search for, for the perfect religion. No, and so, yeah, and he's talking about how, you know, the world is, the libraries are full of books by these middle-aged people who are like, oh, uh, you know, I did an exhaustive search for, for truth. You know, I needed to find the truth. You know, what was the truth for me? Oh, yeah. And what they do is, is, yeah, yeah. is they always... They always come around to the same conclusion, which is that number one, Western civilization is pretty great, right? Yeah. Number two, that Christianity has traditionally been a bulwark against savagery, you know, and the promotion, and, and it's been the the um, the floor that Western civilization is built upon. Mm-hmm. And then number three, that the best decision for all people is to try to stomach as much Christian doctrine as you can possibly stand, you know, <laughs> right? <laughs> and like, well, what is? It's Ecclesiastes chapter 12, I think, you brought to my mind. Ah, that's right, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. You bet. Hmm. Yep. Something about reading a bunch of books. Yeah, the reading of many books will weary the body. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you should focus on just one. <laughs> I love that. He, he mocks you know these people. He's like, he uh, does. You know, he says, um, it's God has moved among us. Oh, he goes, how wonderful are thy works. That's a persistent biblical theme, not how interesting are thy theories. Right, that's right. <laughs> That's right, and then he talks about sitting. Yeah. By, he talks about sitting by the fireside. You know, right? He says you can't. He says, um, you know, you can't get. Um, he talks about theology, right? Like how uh, everyone always assumes that people become more godly. Like the most godly people become godly by sitting beside a fire and reading books. Yeah, is he out of his mind? Right. No, that, but no, he goes against it. No, I know. I know. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Saying, yeah. Is that is that person sitting there thinking that out of their mind? Right. Yeah. And then he, it's funny because uh, he calls God cruel. He says, "How cruel would God be? You know, if he had, you know, he required that faith in him required such an astute like." academic mind right? i i just had that talk with somebody this morning I, i've said yeah. it before i witnessed people on xbox i'm weird so oh sure hey, no, get, hey someone's got hey you know someone should right well, somebody good, good for you it was there was a guy on there and he told me that his wife and daughter crack uh died in a car accident Oof. like a couple years ago yeah Oof. and i i don't know call me morbid i always find that to be an opening because th- to talk about god because yeah. that's when people generally stand around a grave or something like that and Oh, they're in heaven. They're looking at me, and I'm like, "Hey, you want to talk about where they really are?" So anyway, yeah. I start talking to them, and sure enough, it, Mother Nature, and I meditate, and I pray outside when the grass is wet, so I can connect right. with nature. And I'm like, "Oh no, guy worship! What are you doing?" You know, and I'm, yeah. I'm trying to draw the line between like, I, I guess I'm doing what you know, but I'm, but I'm like, don't do. Because I'm trying, like, not to be offensive, mm-hmm. but also trying to get across the point, like, you're wrong. <laughs> like, right. But if I just say that, conversation over. Like, it's done. You know? Yeah. So, I mean, I eventually worked my way to the point of, like, okay, but Jesus said, I yeah. am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That's pretty singular. Yeah. So, yep. you know, but I had to do well, the, the whole truth apologetic is, yeah. thing first and ask him, what year are we in? What's that based off of? Oh, the entrance of one being into this world. Okay. Right. <laughs> and I don't care who you are. <laughs> yep. So. That's right. Yeah. I, yeah, uh, I haven't used apologetics. Uh, that's right. Very good. Because somebody lost a winning lotto ticket here. This book. <laughs> that's right. This book. That's right. Here we go. You got it. You got it. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for joining us today on the Blunderground Railroad. We're going to wrap up this discussion today, but we'll be back for part number two, the conclusion of chapter three of section two of A Christian Mind, The Christian Conception of Truth. 
We'll see you then. Thank you for joining Tom and Steve on the Blunderground Railroad. Join us next time as we seek to travel from ignorance to knowledge. And check out their other podcasts, Notes from Blunderground and the Digital Blunderground. See you next time 